All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to H2O Church. If you're new here this morning, my name is Aziz Nahas. I'm one of the pastors here in H2O Church, and we're especially glad you could be with us this morning. If there's any way we can help you get connected or serve you in some way, please let us know, and you'll have an opportunity later on in the service to do that through our Connect cards, or if we could be praying for you, um, let us know. So, I don't know if you noticed, but it's pretty hot in here. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, but when it gets hot like this, I start getting sleepy. So, I am totally fine if any of you are feeling like sleepy. Stand up, walk around in the back, do what you need to do, poke your neighbor. I, I don't mind. That will not distract me at all. Just uh, do what you need to do. We're sorry about that. We don't know what exactly is going on. The university must think we are all living in our underwear or something. So... Okay, that was, never mind. Forget about that image. <laughs> Too late. All right. So let's start with another question. So how many of you guys have ever flown in a commercial airplane? Wow. Okay. Almost all of you. Yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised. So what happens before the flight takes off while you're sitting in your seats waiting for the flight to take off? What is a very common occurrence? I think it's required. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> but once you're on the plane, right, and you've found your seat and you've struggled to put your luggage away and you're sitting there waiting, what's, what, what has to happen every time? Yeah, that's like the <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, airline is a lot of struggle. What's that? Someone else? Safety presentation. safety presentation. Thank you. And so the safety presentation nowadays, I was one, one recently, it just came up on my screen in front of me. Which, but in, in, in the old days, the OG safety presentation was the steward or stewardess would stand at the front of each section and give you guys the instructions for what to do in case of an emergency. And so let me ask you, how many of you guys listen to those safety instructions? Oh, wow, okay, you guys are on. That's good, that's good. I want to fly with you guys. Um, that's great. I think you're not normal in that sense <laughs> because I've noticed when I go on flights, I look around and almost nobody is paying attention. Um, I think the first time ever I, I did, because I was worried what would happen, and the first time I went on an overseas flight, I especially worried. But after that, I didn't really pay any attention anymore, and most people are looking at their phones or listening to something or talking. Uh, but something I noticed happened some years ago when my wife and my sons and I, we traveled and we managed to snag seats in the emergency rows. Do you know those rows? They're, they're the rows where the, the window or there's a door that can open up in case of an emergency, and then there's a, like a slide outside of it. And w the reason we wanted those seats is because there's a lot more leg room. It's great. So even though we were in coach class, kind of felt like first class. Pretty sweet, right? So after she gives all the instructions, and none of us are listening, she walks back specifically to our row. And we're like, okay, what's going on? And she gives us additional instructions to each of us for what we're supposed to do in case of emergency. You know, how we're supposed to open the door, and how we're supposed to let people out, and all these things. And so, okay. And then she looks each of us in the eye, and she says, do you understand? And we're like, uh, and she's like, do you understand? She would not stop until we said, yes, I understand. And do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? She went down the row. Each of us had to say yes. We're like, wow, okay, this must be really important <laughs> because she is, wants to make sure we're listening, right, and we're paying attention, and we're going to remember and do it. And that's like the situation we find ourselves in in Mark chapter 4. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, learning about Jesus to answer this question for our lives, will we 
believe Jesus? Yes, will we believe in Jesus? But even before that, will we believe Jesus? And already we've heard in Mark several times that Jesus was teaching the people. It says Jesus was teaching the people. But so far in Mark, he didn't share with us the content of those teachings. He would just say Jesus was teaching the people. Jesus was healing the people. So, and he's about to do that for the first time here in Mark chapter 4. And in this teaching, Jesus gives his listeners the pre-flight emergency instructions for what he is about to share in that particular teaching and for all his teachings, for all his ministry. This is very important. Their lives and our lives depend on us listening. So the question is, will they pay attention? Will we pay attention? All right, so let's read what he says. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so Jesus was so crowded by the crowd that in order to speak to them, he got in a boat and he went out a little way from the shore and they all gathered on the shore. And what I found out is very interesting that this is a perfect natural auditorium because the crowd forms a semicircle around the speaker and the water reflects the sound of them speaking to the crowd. It's an amazing thing. So Jesus took advantage of that situation and he spoke to them from the boat. And in his teachings, Jesus often uses parables. It says here right at the beginning, right? He spoke to them in many parables. And you can see him doing that in the following chapters. But Mark begins his description of Jesus' teachings and of his parables with this parable. Why? It must be important. It's not an accident. And you can tell right away that it is because Jesus begins by saying, Listen. Listen. Now this would have reminded the Jewish listeners of Moses crying out to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, a verse which all the Jewish people knew. They all memorized it. They all recited it. It's the first part of the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So Jesus begins this with the same call to listen as in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. So as, as if it wasn't enough, the people are realizing, okay, this is really important. And he ends the same way that he begins. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What is that? Listen up. So he starts out with listen, and he ends with listen. So that should tell you this is important. But what is so important about it? What is Jesus saying here in this parable? Well, it's important to take a step back and ask, well, what is a parable? 
Why speak in parables at all? You know, if I was listening to somebody who is this great teacher, who is a prophet, who is God in the flesh, and he said, listen, I'd be like, all right, here we go. And he's going to give me some, like, system or some clear explanation of life or something like that. But instead, he launches into a parable. Let's keep reading what he says in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Oh, sorry, I already read what what he says. Okay, let's keep reading to find out why he's speaking in parables. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So first thing I want to point out here is he was speaking to the 12 and the others around him. It's a common misconception among people who grew up in the church to think that Jesus' disciples were 12, right? He had 12 disciples. And then there was maybe these crowds of people. But Jesus had more than 12 disciples, men and women, choosing to follow him everywhere he went. They weren't just part of the crowds. And some of these who were around him maybe even had just joined recently, because this is near the beginning of his ministry. And so they're gathering around him. They're like, what are you saying, Jesus? What are you getting at? You told us to listen, and, and we listened, but we didn't quite understand. What are you saying? So he tells them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What is this secret? Well, he doesn't say, but we can guess from the context. He says that it's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, the, of God is the place where God rules and reigns. It's where his will is done. He wants to tell them the truths about this kingdom, the qualities of this kingdom that are often hidden from view, not immediately obvious, even counterintuitive, different than what one might expect. And he says it's a secret that's being revealed to those who come to him. But outsiders receive only parables. Now, this is a reference, and again, his Jewish listeners would have understood. This is a reference to Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And in this passage, we see God speaking to Isaiah, and he says to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Jesus is saying that he is like Isaiah, and the Jewish people of his time are like the Jewish people in Isaiah's time. They will hear him, but most will refuse to pay attention until it's too late. If they did, they would turn and be forgiven. His preaching will actually harden their hearts. Why is that? Well, it has to do with the purpose of a parable. A parable separates out those who want to hear from those who don't want to hear. It separates out those who want to hear from those who don't want to hear. For those who wanted to hear, a parable makes you thirsty. It catches your eye. It catches your ear. It makes he who has eyes to see, right? Ears to hear. Let him hear. There's something about it that you want to know what Jesus is saying. 
But for those who really aren't interested, what does a parable do? It actually makes you less interested in Jesus. Because you down deep you're not. It reveals. It reveals your interest in Jesus. Jesus' parables are not meant to keep people from turning to God and being forgiven. That's a common misconception when reading this passage or Isaiah 6, 9, 10. Instead, Jesus' parables hide the truth from those who don't want to turn to God and be forgiven. They reveal both a lack of understanding and an unwillingness to understand, a hardened heart. For such people, the parable hides the mystery of the kingdom of God and further hardens their hearts. But for other people, parables reveal those with receptive hearts to Jesus who want to know the meaning of the parable and apply it to their lives. For such people, the parable stirs them to seek Jesus and ask for the meaning, just like his disciples did, to follow him and put their trust in him. Okay, I want to give you an example in a, in a modern-day setting. So this is something I, I came up with. Hopefully it'll connect. I decide to write a little parable. All right. So it would be like the stewardess at the beginning of the flight standing up to give you the pre-flight instructions you're all sitting there, you know, used to it and waiting for the normal blah, blah, blah. And this is what she says. Listen up, everyone. A family of five went on a vacation to a remote national park. Before they entered the park, a ranger warned them, if you see any baby bear cubs, do not go near them. It's too dangerous because the mother bear might attack you. In the park, the family came across two cute bear cubs. The dad of the family said, Hey, kids, get a picture of me with the bears. He thought it would make a great Facebook post, so he approached the cubs. Yeah, that's what dads do. The mom of the family and one of her daughters said, Oh, aren't they cute? We want to pet them. So they approached the cubs as well. The son said, I want to catch one. So he started chasing one of the cubs. But the one remaining child, a little girl, remembered the ranger's warning. She backed up and hid. When the mother bear came, she killed all the members <laughs> of the family, except for the little girl who remained safe. If you're willing to listen, then pay attention. <laughs> so <laughs> how would you have responded if the stewardess had said that? How would the airplane passengers respond, right? Some of them would have been, like, shocked and maybe some curious. Some would have found it entertaining. Some would have just ignored it, frankly, in favor of greater entertainment from their devices or conversation. But some would have been troubled and intrigued. They know that the stewardess has a job to do, and she's trying to do it, so there must be some reason she's telling us this story. They would sense the stewardess is trying to say something important and that they needed to understand and pay attention. So what would they do? Well, they would go up to her afterwards and ask, what did you mean by telling us that story? And then the stewardess would explain to those people clearly the airplane emergency procedures. She would explain it to the people who really wanted to hear, who had ears to hear and eyes to see. So here's the way I would define a parable. A parable, as Jesus used them, 
is an illustration that hides the secret of the kingdom of God from those unwilling to receive it and stirs up a desire to understand that secret in those who hunger for the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. A parable, as Jesus used them, is an illustration that hides the secret of the kingdom of God from those unwilling to receive it and stirs up a desire to understand that secret in those who hunger for God's kingdom. It separates out those who don't want to listen to Jesus from those who do want to listen to Jesus. So that's the difference between those who are outside and those who are inside. Those on the outside are there because they don't have ears to hear. They are unwilling to listen, and so all they receive are parables. But those with ears to hear who are willing to listen are on the inside, and Jesus explains the parables to them, the secret of the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't excluding anyone. Instead, everyone is welcome to join him and learn the secret of the kingdom of God. And this is still true today. These, and these parables, and this is something that was wonderfully shocking to me as I studied out about parables. These parables go beyond just Jesus' teachings. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 4, he said just earlier, he said, to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Everything is said in parables. Jesus' whole life and ministry is a parable. Think about it. Everything he said and did, everything we read about, is a parable. Healing people, casting out demons, calming storms, forgiving sins, creating food, and on and on and on. And what is always the response of the people? Who is this man? How can he do what he does? How can he say what he says? They're amazed over and over in Mark. They're amazed. They're wondering. What is really going on here? To those on the outside who are not willing to receive the message of the kingdom and Jesus is the king, what is their response? Well, Jesus is demon-possessed, obviously, as the religious leaders thought. Or crazy. That's what his family thought, right? We saw that last week. Or just a source of healing and food, as the crowds thought. But to those willing to receive the kingdom and its king, to those truly desperate for him, and for the kingdom of God to be manifest in our world and in our lives. Jesus is revealed as the one they are longing for, and they didn't even know his name. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, and everything he does and says points to that. It points to him as the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament, as the fulfillment of all we long for all we were made for, and they are drawn to him to want to understand the kingdom and to know Jesus more. One theologian suspects that Mark modeled his gospel after Jesus' parables, that Mark itself is a gigantic parable. And that would explain why so few details are given in Mark. You know, so often I read Mark, and like, couldn't you have said a little more? Notice the part in the desert where he's tempted by the devil. It doesn't say, like, what happened. It just says he went in the desert and he was tempted by the devil. Did he win? Did he lose? What happened? If you don't read the other Gospels, you don't know. And that's intentional. It's supposed to make you ask and wonder 
So much is left unsaid and unexplained. The Gospel of Mark is a parable that leads people to Jesus who are hungry for Jesus, but hides Jesus from those who are not really interested. I remember when I went from being an outsider to being an insider, a person with ears to hear. It occurred after we moved to a new city, Beaver Creek, near Dayton, uh, and I was 16. I moved from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I'd grown up attending church, and I thought of myself as a Christian, and I would try to be a good Christian, and I would read my Bible, and I would go to church service. It was all the things I thought I ought to do. But it wasn't until I moved, and I got involved with a new church and a youth group there, I started going, and they were reading about Jesus and what he said in his life, and I just don't remember ever in my life before stopping and really listening to what Jesus was saying. I heard those words before. I'd read the Gospels myself. But I don't know why. It just never connected with me. And I started actually listening, and I started seeing what he was doing. And I found myself falling in love with Jesus, not because I ought to, because I wanted to. I couldn't help myself. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to follow him. And I started understanding my own sinfulness. And then I started thinking, well, well, even if I could be around Jesus, there's no way he'd want me. I'm a sinner. I never thought of myself as a sinner before. I always thought of myself as a good kid. My mom thought I was perfect. She still does. You could ask her. <laughs> it's wonderful. Moms are great. <laughs> and that was the first time I thought, started thinking of myself as a sinner. And then the next realization hit me. No, actually, Jesus does want me with him. That's exactly the reason he came. He didn't, cave to, didn't come to give me a bunch of rules. He didn't come just to give me a good example. He came to rescue sinners like me. He wanted me to be with him. He wants you to be with him. And that just blew my mind. That was the first time in my life where I started having eyes to see and ears to hear. And I wanted more, and I wanted more. And I started reading more and more and listening more and more. And eventually, when I was 17... These two men came to my door in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the night, sorry, in the evening, and they were sharing the gospel, going door to door in our neighborhood. And they asked me if I wanted to hear. I said, sure. I let them in my house. My mom was kind of nervous. Like, who are these men? Like, it's okay, mom, don't worry. Yeah. And uh, so I was listening to them and kind of checking out what they had to share, making sure it didn't match with what I've been reading the Bible. And it did. And at the end, they said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes, I would. So what is Jesus saying in this parable? What is so important? Mark 4, 13 through 20 tells us, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So here Jesus does something very precious very special. He sits down with his disciples and he explains this parable to them. He explains to them that the seed in the parable is the word. This is the message of the kingdom of God. 
what Jesus refers to as the secret of the kingdom of God. And the farmer is the person who proclaims that message. So this person is proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God, and it goes out like seeds being scattered. This was a, an ancient farming technique that farmers would use, broadcasting seed. And it would just land all over. And the crop that would result depended upon many factors, but one was where the seed landed and what kind of soil. And so here, the soil represents the different people hearing the message. And the plant that results when the seed takes root is the kingdom of God, the reign of God in that person's life. And the root is the connection of that kingdom of God to the person. And the crop is the evidence of the kingdom of God growing in a person's life. God's presence, God's power, God's rule. What is that evidence? We told us in the previous chapter, Mark 3.35, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is the evidence of the kingdom of God in a person's life. It's the crop. The person does the will of God. They delight in it. And that includes repentance and faith, especially in accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And just as at the center of fruit is what? What's at the center of fruit? Seed, right? Built into every piece of fruit is the ability to reproduce itself. And just at the center of fruit is a new seed. Bearing crop includes also proclaiming the message of the kingdom. So as the kingdom of God flourishes in us, we start inevitably producing seed, which itself goes out to different kinds of soil, right? And just as an apple comes from an apple tree, the fruit of the kingdom of God means your life displays the qualities of that kingdom. Here is a marvelous description of those qualities in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. When the, you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is not saying that Christians are perfect and will never sin and always exhibit these qualities. But what does the pattern of their lives reveal? What does the trajectory of their lives reveal? Does it reveal the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, the fruit of the kingdom of God growing in their lives, or not? In this parable, we are the soil, not the plant. The plant is the kingdom of God. We don't bear fruit. God bears fruits in and through us. We're the soil. The question is, and the question that Jesus is challenging us with is, what kind of soil are we? What kind of soil are we? Are we the kind that listens to the word and lets it take deep root in us, no matter what happens? Or the kind that does not? See, this is a parable about all the parables. It's an introduction, an exhortation, a warning, and a promise 
to prepare them and us for all of Jesus' upcoming parables, for his whole life and ministry. That's why Jesus said to them in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? It's like if if you don't understand this, if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of them. Because this parable reveals whether or not you really want to listen to Jesus. It, that's what it's about. In fact, if you take a step back, this is really cool from when it hit me. If you take a step back and you realize in that moment, the parable he just told them was describing what was happening in that moment. Jesus in the boat was a farmer. He was casting seed to all those on the shore in front of him. Shore, soil, right? All the soil around him was all the people listening to him. So he was telling them a parable about what was happening right in that moment. Who got that in that moment? Who, who noticed? He was telling them through a parable this. He's saying, I'm speaking to you right now, but my words will not have a lasting effect in most of you. If he hadn't told it in a parable, this is, this is kind of what he would have said. Some of you aren't going to be interested, and Satan will snatch the message of the kingdom away. Some of you won't be willing to suffer for God's kingdom, but the message, and the message will wither and won't have any effect. Some of you have other things more important to you than me and my kingdom, so it will be choked out and won't have any effect. But if you believe it, receive it, and let it take deep root in you, and are willing to suffer for it, and are willing to give up everything for it, then it will bear fruit in your life, the fruit of God's kingdom. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 21 through 23, to those who have believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this message... This warning and this promise was only revealed to those with ears to hear who came up to Jesus to ask him about it. And in God's mercy, through Mark, do you get it? You've been allowed in that room with those disciples. It's a small room. We're all packed in here. That's why we all feel so hot and we're sweating. (laughs) And we're listening to Jesus, and he has just told us the secret. So what are we going to do with it? What kind of soil are we this morning? What kind of soil are you? And I want to ask you, what kind of soil do you want to be? Sometimes we read this parable. I've done this many times in the past. And we get all absorbed in trying to figure out what this is saying about other people. Yeah, that person, definitely not a Christian. That person, yeah, that's not him. Yeah, oh, there, yeah, they're a good soil. You know, we do this. But that's not the purpose of it. That's, (laughs) this parable is intended for each of us to challenge us. And the challenge is not to figure out whether you're a Christian or not. That would be the other thing I would tend to do. I I don't know about you, but I was always taught that the purpose of this parable is to reveal who is a Christian and who is not. That the purpose of this parable was for us to use it as some kind of spiritual litmus test to determine whether we are saved or not, or other people are saved or not. In the past, when I would read this parable, all it would do, if I wasn't thinking about others, and I was thinking just about, I was thinking about myself, all it would do was make me agonize whether I was really a Christian or not. Oh, have I borne fruit? 
And have I borne enough fruit? Is what I have done enough to prove that I'm a Christian? Or am I just fooling myself about being a Christian and I'm going to eventually fall away or be choked out? But that's not the purpose of this parable, you guys. I really hope that you hear that loud and clear this morning. You might have to, like, unwind <laughs> what you've been taught in this way. Jesus isn't challenging us to have existential self-doubt about our salvation or to identify and measure our fruit. Jesus here is speaking to Christians and non-Christians, and he's challenging us to listen to him, to the message of his kingdom. Not just once. It's not like, oh, I'm saved. Now this doesn't apply to me anymore. No. Every time we hear the word of God, he's challenging us. Will we listen? Will we listen? Will we believe? Will we hold on to it no matter what? He's describing to us the different ways that people respond to the message of the kingdom. And he's warning us what happens when we don't listen and believe and hold on to that message while promising us that we will flourish and bear fruit when we do. So the question this morning that I want you to ask yourself after hearing this parable is not, am I saved? The question I want you to ask yourself is the question I think Jesus is asking each of us. Will I listen to Jesus? Will I listen to Jesus in this parable? And in all the parables? And in all of Mark? Will I listen to Jesus, his words, his actions, his life? Will I listen? Will I have ears to hear? Will I believe? And will I hold on to him no matter what comes? No matter what is worrying me, no matter what temptations, no matter what pressures or persecutions, no matter how hot the room gets, <laughs> will I hold on to Jesus? I know that for me it's been hard lately. I've been believing the lie that if I have enough money and time, will be safe and comfortable. And I've been desiring safety and comfort and entertainment more than Jesus and his will. I've allowed my worries about various things in my life to crowd out faith and joy and peace in Jesus. And you guys, that's a horrible way to live. And far from the peace and joy that Jesus promises us. So how about you? Are you paying attention to what the Bible says? Or have you stopped believing it? And be honest with yourself. I'm not asking you to raise hands or anything. Just be honest with yourself before God. Are you believing the good news that Jesus is the Messiah and that your sins are forgiven when you come to him in faith? Maybe you've never done that before, and today I'm inviting you to do that. He is inviting you to believe in him that your sins may be forgiven. But maybe you did that many years ago, but you've lost sight of that you're listening to the devil and the world and the lies and the accusations that pile on you every day? Are you holding on to Jesus and building your life on him as your cornerstone? Or are you avoiding him because following him is causing you trouble? And you think your life will be easier if you just avoid him. Is Jesus and his kingdom the most important thing in your life? Or have you allowed your worries and other desires to take over your life and choke out the kingdom of God in you? The stewardess is giving the pre-flight emergency instructions. And we know <laughs> that the plane is definitely going down. <laughs> so are we going to pay attention? Will we believe? Whether the kingdom of God flourishes in us or withers and dies in us depends on our answer. Our lives and the lives of the people around us depend on our answer. So listen up. Whoever has ears to hear, 
Let them hear. Let's go ahead and pray.